This is Cleantech Talk, Cleantechnica's podcast series interviewing cleantech leaders from around the world. This episode is sponsored by Ideonomics. Ideonomics is a global company driving mobile energy transformation and the green fintech revolution. It combines deal origination and enablement with the application of technologies such as artificial intelligence and blockchain. Hello, we're here for a special episode of Clean Tech Talk, uh, interviewing CEO of Ideonomics, Alf Poor. Uh, Alf, we have a lot to talk about, actually. Um, we're going to have a couple of episodes, uh, but this first episode will be focused on the 5G age and what efficiencies are achievable through Internet of Vehicles. Uh, just real quickly, though, before we get into that, could you just say a little bit more about who Ideonomics is and where this, where, where you're, how you got into this space? Yes, absolutely. And thank you to the Clean Technica team for having me on today. Um, so Ideonomics is a very interesting company. We have some investments in some very interesting technologies, which are AI and blockchain. And we look at um, industries that are in transformation. And uh, the automotive industry is one that's very interesting to us at this time. There's going to be some significant transition uh, into electric vehicles uh, as they become more mainstream not only because electric vehicles uh, handle and, and operate very differently to combustion engine vehicles, but also because you're going to see a monumental shift in energy demand away from gasoline and diesel and, and onto uh, electrical charging and battery-based charging, which we think is the most uh, significant part. It's actually an interesting thing. You would think it's an easy sort of um, idea to implement. It's just you know the, the idea of using the batteries of electric vehicles uh, for for demand response and just flexible charging and all that, uh, there's been discussion hype around vehicle to grid, vehicle to home for for many years. Um, how how do you see do do you see that five G playing a role in that, uh, helping that along, helping enable that, which which has a lot of you know technical challenges. Yeah, we do. I think there's there's two really interesting um, parts that five G will play here. First is in the vehicles, um, what we're calling IOV as an extension of IoT, for Internet of Vehicles. And the second is in the, uh, the charging apparatus that's out in the charging station networks. I think both of these uh, being connected to 5G um, is a really compelling thing because it allows uh, real-time and near-real-time data distribution, which I think is very interesting not only for consumers, but uh, maybe arguably more so for full commercial fleet operators. Yeah, and uh, and do you have you worked with utilities at all yet on this, or that's still still have to open those doors? Yeah, no, we we're working with a number of utilities, um, uh, both on opposite ends of the spectrum. Here, uh, we're working with uh, some state-owned utility grids in China, Three Gorges. It's the largest uh, producer of hydroelectric power in the world through the Three Gorges Dam. Uh, we work with Southern Grid. We have a partner, GCL, which is Golden Concord Holdings. They're kind of China's um, flagship clean energy utility because they produce their electricity for the grid through solar and through wind. Um, and also, though, conversely, we're working with PetroChina at this time as well. Um, PetroChina as a state-owned entity um, doesn't want to have a hard stop on energy demand. Um, the requirements for EVs are regulatory-driven with very aggressive timelines in China. 
So PetroChina, Sinopec, Sinoc, and some of the international petroleum distributors that, uh, that work in China have a real conundrum right now, which is how do they begin to transition into new energy demand? So PetroChina have been very aggressive. Uh, we've seen also the f- likes of BP, Shell, others uh, make investments uh, in recent years in grid edge technology. And PetroChina is so very interesting to be working both with the natural downstream beneficiaries, which is the utility companies who already obviously provide our electricity through to, you know, the energy companies in transition. It's it's quite an exciting time in the space. Yeah, and I think we'll probably come back to the charging in a second, but there's a question I, I'm really interested to hear you talk about. Um, I think it was a few years ago, maybe three years ago, I talked to the head of uh, AI and autonomous driving for Bloomberg New Energy Finance. Um, we actually were co-hosting a, 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 a transportation conference in in Abu Dhabi with um, some some people there, and uh, someone highlighted, or he highlighted that fully self-driving vehicles wouldn't be wouldn't be possible until we had 5G because of the the, the immense data transfer needs that will be going in and out of these vehicles. Could you speak a little bit more about that? And if you think that's, that's the case? Yeah, I think um, it, it's an interesting argument. Um, part of it is contradictory because the nature of vehicles is they allow you to go from point A to point B, wherever those two points are. Um, 5G, as we know, um, has to be in a very concentrated format. Those towers are very close together. Some of them is, need to be as close as a few hundred feet just because the spectrum of bandwidth that's being used um, can't carry the same as what 4G and previous generation towers could. So um, while I think there is some obvious um, benefits to to having 5G and the connectivity and the fast data rates processing, um, as you said, there is some physics in play, which is I don't think, um, at least in the short term, I'm talking 10 to 15 years, we'll see 5G deployed in anywhere other than cities and the suburban sprawl around major cities. I just It's too much of a large-scale investment to uh, to go out further, the same as we don't see 4G coverage still in, in you know, large parts of North America, um, given that the distance between 5G towers is, is so much uh, shorter. The infrastructure cost is so much higher. So I suspect that we're going to have to find the right technological blend to keep 4G and 3G um, able to to work with Internet of Vehicles to, uh, to make it, uh, you know, end-to-end experience. Otherwise, as soon as you, you think about a delivery truck going from state to state, it's going to pass through some significant rural areas. You can't just have it go dark if you're working with Internet of Vehicles and you have, you know, fleet operations management relying on that data, that data access. Yeah, and th- there's just, I guess, an enormous amount of, of data, including visual data that's heavy that has to go has to go back and forth between a vehicle and a kind of headquarters home base. Um, that's what I. That's how I understand the challenge. Is that is that correct? Is that the challenge with needing five G, or is it something more specific or different? Um, yeah, obviously the the faster you get access to data, I mean the the most meaningful aspects that we're seeing being tested right now are uh, traffic and route optimization to make sure that deliveries and things can get there in the commercial sector. Uh, as quickly as possible, or taxi rides can get pe- you know passengers efficiently from from airports to hotels or, or wherever they may be traveling. Um, so the, first of all, there's the route optimization, the traffic aspect of it. I think we all see that works pretty well on 3G and 4G through you know our smartphones that we use, Google Maps, Waze, whatever it may be. Um, 
But then there's the other uh, interesting parts to it as well. Um, vehicle performance analysis, energy performance analysis. Um, I think those are the more meaningful ones for long haul fleet operators so they can understand how to instruct the driver that um, you know there's charging needs if it's EV, um, that there's vehicle issues, uh, brake systems, steering systems, power management systems, things like that. I think those are the, the areas really where commercial fleet operators are, are looking to get data points back and uh, they can be binary data points as well as rich data. So um, I think you'll see a phased approach. I think you'll see it starting with what we would term the critical or essential data, which is really what they're, a lot of people are terming te telemetry at this point, which is the, you know, the critical aspects of the, the vehicle's operation and uh, the, uh, the route optimization mapping or whatever you want to call it that, that is getting it from where it, where it was to where it needs to go. So when you when you have this when you mention efficiency efficiency is achievable through Internet of Vehicles, uh, all of this stuff you just mentioned is is what you're talking about, right? The ability to to very carefully monitor the vehicle's needs and performance, and uh, you know get get brake changes done when needed, get tires changed when needed, this kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. When you start to talk to commercial fleet operators, you realize they have a exponentially large grid of issues to, to tackle versus a passenger, consumer passenger vehicle uh, owner and operator. You know, they they can't run their vehicles a little longer, a little harder, like we tend to our cars in between servicing and, and brakes and things like that, because it just has such a compounded uh, impact on their bottom line. So they have to really be very cognizant of the, uh, the operational and maintenance needs of their vehicles at all times to keep their vehicles in peak condition. To make sure they're available. If vehicles are not available, um, then obviously they can't deliver their services um, and they can't make any money. So, so when you talk to fleet operators, you see very different set of requirements versus talking to a passenger car consumer. Yeah, I, I'm, years a few years ago, it seemed like we were writing about the Internet of Things all the time, and we don't seem to write about that much anymore. I don't know if it's still a big topic and outside of my world, but uh, this is basically that. This is the Internet of Things for vehicles. This is the Internet of, you know, sort of tracking and monitoring every component of the vehicle and optimizing, right? Yeah, correct. I mean, look, I, I think what we're, what we're calling the next phase of the Internet, the industrial Internet, I think it's happening quietly. Uh, I think there's IoT sensors going into everything from vehicles to production lines in manufacturing facilities and factories, um, to security systems, to um, garment ID and, and uh, anti-theft systems in retail. There's, there's a lot of interesting things happening in IoT, but it's happening in a way that complements a lot of the latest apps and, uh, and other consumer-based products that we're using. And I think this is what I like. I'm starting to see um, IoT-based applications levering, leveraging the best of, you know, okay, why is Lyft and Uber so easy to use? Right, so you're starting to see those type of UI and customer journey flows finding their way into the Internet of Things as well, which is really interesting. Yeah, we we uh, did a webinar recently with um, someone who said he was in uh, artificial intelligence field, you know, sort of a side and a side of it um, decades ago. And as technology has improved, things that were artificial intelligence are no longer deemed artificial intelligence because we're just so rapidly improving. So we sort of we, we change labels around, we sort of jump, but basically there's just a rapid improvement in how much we're tracking and, and then calculating and you know, feedback loops and all that. Uh, well, with this self-driving vehicles in particular, um, something that I, I think is, has stuck out to me is, you know, it's been highlighted repeatedly that the 
efficiency efficiency is just a and insanely important matter for these um there's there's so much that goes into them that efficiency is key and also there's the the whole idea of running vehicles more miles more more kilometers uh get, getting more life out of them um as kind of robot taxis or or automatic delivery services requires a focus on you know making sure the efficiency pays off in the total cost of ownership long term and all that um so with that in mind, and, and that's also why it's been argued by many, including Mary Barra, head of GM, that um, that efficiency, that electric vehicles are key for, for this field because uh, there's just greater overall net efficiency in electric motors, electric drivetrains. Uh, can you say a little bit more about how you see vehicles evolving to, you know, not you know not being in this exactly the same shape and form and and uh, a kind of model as we see today to incorporate these these things yeah absolutely um we have some significant relationships with the commercial ev manufacturers in china which make up about 90 percent of the commercial ev manufacturers currently and um i have to agree with you there's there's some interesting uh perception dynamics at play here um so i've been in test driving with autonomous driving buses um i can tell you that at this point um, I felt safer in an odd way, and I consider myself to be quite technically progressive um, in those autonomous driving buses that had the cabin for the driver and the wheel, and the wheel still moved versus those that didn't have any of that. So, you know, it, it, it didn't really make any difference to the performance, of course, but psychologically, um, it's very strange just to get into an empty shell and see it move along and navigate through the traffic. Yeah, it's it's very it's it's very hard to fully trust. Like you feel, you feel like okay, the machine is better, but what if something breaks? And and everybody's had computers that break and phones that break. So so we know technology can break. Uh, you know when you don't want it to. Well, you know I I have a Tesla Model Three and I drive with uh, autopilot on a lot, and it's a huge safety advancement. Like I prefer to use it use it as much as possible because it's just better at staying exactly in line in the lane better at at, you know noticing exactly when something is stopping even if i can't see it ahead of me um and all that so it's but then there it also does weird things so there you know there's situations where edge cases where it just freaks out so you know that you need that so I, i i can't say i'm Everybody's got an opinion on when self, full self-driving happens, but there's there's got to be a, a transition period that's going to be challenging. How do you see? Uh, what do you see the the kind of the human operator role in that transition? As you're talking about, sort of um, in relation to all of this. Well, I think um, there's a couple of really interesting points that we're starting to see. Whether it's um, you know looking at the uh, a couple of months ago, there was a very interesting uh, uh, research um, or case study, I guess you call it, put out into the market by Tesloop. That's a LA, San Diego-based um, vehicle service that's been just being used in Teslas. And when you got to see the maintenance records and the uh, the life of uh, what those vehicles were able to do because of, you know, EVs having so much less components in them than combustion engine cars, um, these vehicles with half a million miles on them were looking like a three-year-old combustion engine car um, outside of the upholstery, taking a beating, of course. Um, so there's a couple of, and my reason for mentioning that is um, there's a couple of uh, interesting white papers I've seen in China which suggest that just removing the human interaction from the vehicle redress, uh, uh, 
reduces all of that stress and strain in the way that we drive. We all drive slightly differently. We all have our quirkiness. Some of us put our foot down at the light. Some of us brake late. Some of us brake gently. All these things have an impact. You get a much more consistent approach from the vehicle driving itself. Less wear and tear on the vehicle happens. And that's just in terms of the vehicle. I think, you know, you probably know if you take human error out of um, anything from road traffic accidents to general traffic congestion and bottlenecks, um, it frees up a lot of what we currently have in uh, the frustration in our lives, as well as the, you know, the reduction in, uh, in deaths on the road. So the, the, the data suggests that cars are driven gentler by, um, by automated driving. Uh, it suggests they're driven better by automated driving and they save lives by automated driving. So, um, but again, you know, repeating that, I, I, I sat in a, an SUV from a new progressive company in China where the front seats spin around and face the, well, the, <laughs> sec- the second row of seats and a, um, you know, a uh, games table pops up and you're able to sit there and play the game. And I'm just not ready at this point <laughs> yeah. to keep looking out of the window and through yeah. my shoulder through the windshield. So, but, but definitely the technology's there. It's progressing very well. And, and uh, all, all data um, indicates that uh, this is a much safer driving experience than human uh, operation of vehicles. So I think naturally it's where the commercial fleets are going to go. Yeah, you make some really interesting points. You know, we I just got this update where the the, the Tesla now stops at red lights, uh, stops at all lights by itself, and then you have to tell it to go when it's time to go. And uh, when you tell it to go, it's it starts accelerating at like a grandma pace. And <laughs> you know, driving around a Tesla Model Three, you're not really used to that because you just want to you know accelerate. Uh, quickly when you can so it was it was very sort of shocking startling that it accelerated so slowly um and i I, you know it depends on the situation but uh but uh, on the other hand i thought man that would be a lot better on my tires than what i do (laughs) so there is that benefit well we we, we're friends with tesla we uh rahul co-founder ceo has written articles for us really fascinating huge deep dives on where he sees the industry going and i operated a tesla fleet service in europe uh, a bit small one smaller than tesla um but uh, everything you said just rang a, a very strong bell with me and uh, the interesting side for me is that there's still you know you think of the vehicle doing all this stuff but there's actually a ton that has to be done still on the operator side as far as dispatching maintenance you know as you said there's a ton of maintenance between vehicles between trips that you don't really do as a normal person, uh, you know, keeping it nice and all that. And there's also this this need to, you know, to have the, the human uh, kind of transfer, you know, it's, the whole thing isn't automated, just the driving basically. So you have to have a kind of whole system for for managing this, this new tool. Um, so I guess uh, I'm curious a little bit how you see the UI, the, the user interface on the kind of operator side um, with, with more more AI and autonomy and vehicles and kind of managing that through yeah much more efficient and quicker 5G networks and more, much more real time activity. Do you, yeah, do you have anything more you can say on sort of the operator's side of that? Yeah, I mean on the operator's side, I mean I, I've started to see vehicles being produced that um, are moving away from a traditional steering wheel. You have an option of something that's more like a uh, uh, looks a bit more like a bow tie, I guess, in shape. Um, so more getting into the, the area of uh, console gaming controls um, than, than typical vehicle controls. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's very different uh, driving electric vehicle, as you mentioned, to, um, 
driving a combustion engine vehicle, one of the things, you know, you mentioned the vehicle pulling away at kind of grandma pace. Um, this is really important for 5G. I think this is going to be a big game changer for the insurance industry is how people drive their vehicles. Uh, you'll know from having owned and, and managed Teslas, um, electric vehicles accelerate way faster than gasoline-based vehicles. Most people won't understand the reasons why, but, you know, there's a knock sensor and combustion and other things that need to be controlled in a in a internal combustion engine. And you don't have any of those things in the, uh, in the electrical engine. You just literally put your foot down, put it into go, and it starts flying. And um, that's going to be very interesting, I think. Uh, there's going to need to be an adaptation in, in the way that people drive as well uh, because you can't just put your foot down on the floor hard in an electric vehicle because it accelerates uh, at, a, at a much faster pace than an internal combustion engine does. I, I've you know, driven a, a Porsche Taycan or driven a, um, uh, a Tesla uh, Model S Performance and uh, those things are neck and neck and I was really happy to see it in car and driver recently. You know, I'm a big fan of the Porsche brand, love what they're doing from a build quality perspective, but uh, absolutely no difference between the performance between them and a, and a Tesla model, um, you know. Yeah, we're hitting a very... Except for the price tag. And I think these, these, this is where 5G is going to become important. I think you're going to see there's a number of safe driving apps out there already, but I think 5G is going to give, even, even as it you know, pertains to law enforcement, I think we're going to start to move to a new era where... You know, people don't need to be worried so much about traffic because the automated driving is going to control a lot more of the traffic congestion and remove the human element. And I think, you know, people will be highly incented to pass that data onto their insurance company and they'll see, well, depending on how they're driving, but they should see a reduction in premiums based on the reduced risk. And I think that's, that's a really compelling case for 5G and IOB. Yeah, there's always that, that that push and pull. Like as a driver, you just want to enjoy the the fun driving qualities. But then I'm also thinking at, from an efficiency standpoint. If I just let the car drive itself, it does a much better job of driving efficiently and not tearing up the tires. But uh, as far as the market maturing, I think this is really a uh, we can end with this. Um, you know, I think this is really an interesting phase, especially in Europe right now, uh, because Europe Europe's policies basically and and sort of buying uh, buying habits. Uh, mean that there are a lot more models and competitive models on the European market right now than U the U.S. market. So you have a lot more diversity and you have markets like Norway just had 70% of new vehicles were plug-in vehicles uh, last month. And then uh, UK, we just published last night, I think it was 34% uh, of new vehicles sold in the UK last month were, were electric vehicles. Uh, so you have this kind of market maturity arriving and for, you know, I'm sure you're very well aware in some of those markets, charging is a challenge because the market is growing so fast uh, and the charging infrastructure takes a bit of time to get to catch up some places. Um, what can you say about how, how, how you see charging you know, man, managing this, this explosive growth in places where it's growing very fast? Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not surprised to see it growing in, in places like Norway. It's a relatively condensed country a smaller country when compared to the US. And I think people are starting to realize now that the home ch charging that you can do every night is more than sufficient for most people's driving needs on a day-to-day -day basis. Just plug it into the overnight trickle charge. That'll get you to work. That'll get you to the movie theater, go see a game, do all those things that you need to do. And then you come back and, and plug it in and, and, and you, you know, you're good to go again the next morning. Uh, it's the longer haul stuff. Um, 
which is, I would I term the more American stuff, right? These road long road trips and things like that that some of the uh, smaller European countries just don't have as part of their driving experience. I think that's where it's really gonna gonna um, you know play a role, and um, that's where people you know we talk about range anxiety. That's where people are going to need to have um, either anything from battery swap programs through to you know a much more robust infrastructure. Um, for charging networks. I think China's doubling down right now on its charging infrastructure. It wants to be a market leader. Norway's doing very well. It's got, you know, huge state funds, um, you know, from the years of stat oil, putting money into the treasury coffers over there to to put a really robust charging network in place as well. So the countries that are investing in the infrastructure will see the adoption be much quicker. US is still a bit of a, and Canada is still a bit of a puzzle for me just because of the, uh, the, well, the, well, the yeah, of long distance drives. Yeah, well, Europe is interesting, too, and faces challenges that big cities in the U.S. face and that a lot of people don't live in homes with uh, with home charging as a really good option. So you have the kind of more of a need for public charging for normal use. Um, do, you, do you have, yeah, do you have any 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 final thoughts or, or uh, cases on how charging is getting more flexible, more, yeah, more responsive and flexible as uh, because... Yeah, you know, I... I, I saw something about six months ago, which to me was absolute genius that I haven't seen anywhere else before. And it was a small small company in Connecticut. They are using um, streetlights to as a, as a way during the power down because over the uh, in between the time that the streetlights were deployed and the types of LED lights that are used now, there's a lot more excess capacity going to that light in terms of energy, and so they've got pull down uh, charging facilities that you can just basically comes mechanically down from an app and that's one of the ways i've seen it's very interesting to get um, get around a the, the vandalism and damage done to to charging stations that are at ground level and b to to counter that problem that you spoke about which is in dense areas where people don't have a garage don't have access to you know maybe parking on the street things like that um, i like that idea i think that's just absolutely genius compared to you know the hundreds of different things that i've seen uh, yeah we, there's actually there's a german startup ubitricity i visited six years ago i think in berlin five or six or something i don't lose track these days uh they they i think they were the first ones with this concept they, they've done this since then or, or earlier um maybe seven years ago even and i they i was you know, it was a little unclear, you know, they were sort of in limbo, it seemed, for a while, um, as there was, I guess, not as much demand need for it, and there wasn't as much, you know, governments and, and corporations looking for innovative solutions, since there wasn't that much, that many vehicles on the market yet. But now I think they have a partnership with uh, maybe Transport for London or, or UK, some some governmental agency in the UK, where they're doing this in partnership, putting them in lampposts. And it seems all this. It seems more useful and compelling to me now than than I think it did a few years ago. Because you just see this growing demand, and growing need that's sort of uh, very challenging to meet in in all situations. And you sort of need to meet everyone's situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and also I think um, you know we speak a lot to um, the government authorities and you know divisions of transport at government level in different countries, and they're also very concerned for. Their petroleum businesses, because in every country, there's a large amount of uh, you know money goes into the coffers for the treasury every year from taxation of, of gasoline and, and diesel distribution, and um, they're very keen to see gas stations converted into 
um, at fast charging stations as well uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it will give consumers confidence that they can, um, you know, they can continue to take their journeys in the same way that they always did and rely on those gas stations on the way that they know and love, but also so that it can transition those energy companies and the amount of money they put into the treasury uh, on a much more even keel than rather than having some kind of hard stop as a, a tipping point with EV takes place. Yeah, it's a big topic. And I think we're getting a bit of a taster right now for how much the world can be disrupted by some uh, fun, big structural changes. Uh, well, thank you very much for, for the time. A really fascinating discussion. And uh, I'm sure we're going to look into a lot more what Ideonomics is doing, um, how you're participating in this transition. Uh, it's so fast moving that I think that there's just uh, an enormous amount of opportunity for, for innovative, flexible companies like yours. So thank you. I agree. Thank you very much. Pleasure being here. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, drop us a note. We are looking for more clean tech leaders to highlight on a regular basis as we fund Clean Tech Talk.